Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. I'm so glad all of you are here. Thank you for joining us this morning. Hey, we are starting a new sermon series, but, but it's in the second half of the book of Ephesians. And uh, the first half of Ephesians is really doctrinal in nature. We've been talking about that. It, it really uh, deals with a lot of what we think about God. It teaches us what God did for us and, and so how that should impact our lives. When we move into the second half of Ephesians, it becomes way more practical. It becomes here's what you and I should be doing because of what Christ has done in our life. Now, this book was, uh, this letter was written to people who follow Jesus Christ. So, if you're in the room or watching online and you are a follower of Jesus, these words are directly written to you. If you're not sure about following Jesus yet, you're not sure if, you're, if that's something you want to do, then this is painting a picture for what your life could be like if you followed Jesus. And you're not necessarily held to the same standards that we're going to be talking about in the book of Ephesians. So listen to me very carefully. This is what I'm saying. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not necessarily held to what we're talking about. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you claim to be following him, then you and I are going to be uh, probably really challenged by what God's Word is saying to us this morning. All of us want to have a good life. I don't know anyone that wakes up and says, gee, what can I do today to destroy my life? No, nobody does that. Everybody wants, everybody wants to have a good life. And, and I get that good life is, is a very broad term. That could be different for a lot of different people. But when we become followers of Jesus Christ, the good life is determined by Jesus. It's not determined by what America says or what culture says or what our family says or what some professor says or even what I say. A good life is determined by what Jesus said. And Paul dedicated his life to sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus and explaining to people what that meant. Have you ever gone to a symphony or an orchestra or even a high school band performance and before, before the, the show starts, before the presentation begins, all the, the people playing instruments, they have their instruments and they're sitting where they're going to sit when the show starts. But they're all doing their own thing. They're tuning their instruments. I don't know. They're blowing things through, cleaning things. And it, well, it sounds like chaos, doesn't it? It's just, I mean, it's, it's we, we bear with it because we know something better is coming. But if that was the entire show, none of us would go. Because that's just like, it doesn't make sense. They're not playing together. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And it, and it really, is, is, it's not meaningful. It's not pretty. It's not moving in any way. 
But then the conductor takes his place, right? And he comes up on stage, he gets everyone's attention, there's silence, and then he does his thing, and beauty comes from chaos. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, life is meant to be like that when we're following Jesus. Prior to following Jesus, we're all doing our own thing. You know, we're, we're tuning the, the instrument of our life. We're building our life the best way that we know to build it. And it's crazy. It's, 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 it's like everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. But then those who follow Jesus come together, and now all of a sudden, beauty comes from chaos. And what's interesting is not everyone's playing the same instrument. All right? They're not all playing the same, but they sound harmonious together. And that's what it's supposed to be like for the followers of Jesus Christ. Our lives are not all exactly the same. But when you put our lives together in the organization, through the body of people that Jesus calls the church, it should be harmonious. Does that make sense? And Paul describes this, begins to describe this in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And even though we might grasp this mentally, when it comes to practically living this way, it is extremely hard for us to do because we live in a culture that tells us you should be able to do whatever you want to do. The problem with that is, is that Jesus should trump our culture. And he should trump our civil rights and our civil liberties. He should be bigger than all of that. The issue is, is that he's not. He's not bigger than that. And so even inside the church, where there should be harmony among God's people, there's everybody tuning their own life. And it sounds like what an orchestra sounds like before they start playing together. Because no one's paying attention to the conductor. Jesus. And Paul paints a picture of this. There's an old African proverb. I, I don't know who said it. It says, when spiders unite, they can tie down a lion. Man, what could happen if God's people could unite and start playing in harmony as we follow the conductor? What could happen? Martin Luther King Jr., during the height of the civil, civil rights uh, turmoil that was going on. He said, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. And I wonder if that's not what's happening to the church. He was talking about civil liberties and all, and it's very applicable, but it's very applicable to the church. We must either learn to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ, or we will all perish as fools. And this is what Paul is talking about. If we're going to build a life a good life, according to Jesus, it starts with learning to walk together. Walking together as followers of Christ. So what is required for us to walk together? First of all, it requires us to have the right attitude. Look at what Paul wrote beginning in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, 
beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. It says always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So if we're going to be these kind of people, if we're going to be, if we're going to be the people who come together and create harmony, it starts with attitude. Very, much, of, much of what keeps us being able to be God's people together as a, as a church, it's, it's not bad habits. It's, it's not, most of the time, it's just our attitude. Our attitude toward the Lord and our attitude toward one another. And in these first three verses, he, he, really, he really zeroes in on three different attitudes. And here's the questions I want to ask us all this morning. What is your attitude towards obedience? What is your attitude towards that? In, this, in these verses, he's, he uses the word calling. Live a life worthy of your calling. That word means that God has called you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has called you to live for him. It wasn't, it wasn't just him saving you. He also called you to live for him. And that calling, for you and I to answer that calling, means that you and I must be willing to be obedient to him. But really, what's our attitude about obedience? Well, it's easy. Just tell a kid he can't do something. And we quickly learn their attitude about obedience. But it's the same with adults. Just tell them they can't do something or that they should do something. And immediately you see the attitude towards obedience. And we say, well, that's because the authority, I question the authority of who's telling me to do something. Well, really? You question Jesus. Because there's a lot of things he tells us to do in the Word of God that we simply look at and say, i got a problem with that. And who's the authority? What's our attitude? Many of us, we sometimes if we're not careful, we will obey God to receive a blessing instead of obeying God because we're blessed. And there's a difference between those two. If you and I reduce our obedience to I'm going to obey God because I want something to get better in my life, that means we're obeying out of a personal agenda. It means you, 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 Jesus is not in charge. You're in charge and you're following him in hopes that he'll put together what you and I want. But there are some people who have the right attitude. And that attitude is, is that they're, they, they follow the Lord Jesus not because they want him to do something more. They follow and obey him because of what he's already done. And they obey out of gratitude. They have a grateful heart for what Jesus has done in their life, for what he's accomplished inside of them and what he is accomplishing inside of them. And so they obey him because they're grateful to him. Again, we can see this in our kids. Isn't it great sometimes when our kids just do something because they love us? I know you have to think really hard of the last time that happened. But it's, it's wonderful when it happens because they're just grateful to be a part of the family. And they're grateful that, that, 
that as a parent you love them and you're taking care of them. And they're willing to contribute back. That's what our attitude should be towards obedience. He also talks about our attitude toward one another in these three verses. It's interesting, he said, always be humble, always be gentle. I wish he just said half the time. Could you just do it half the time? But that's not what he said. He said, you and I should be doing it always. That word humble, it means placing others ahead of yourself and taking interest in the welfare of others. We live in a society that constantly pounds us to be interesting. That's the goal. I need to be interesting so people will like me on Facebook. People will follow me on my Instagram. People will watch my TikTok video. People will heart my tweets. I got to be interesting. To be humble means that we are interested in others. That's what it means to be humble. When Jesus was dying on the cross, people, when he was dying on the cross, he was thinking of others. He said, Father, forget them, for they know not what they do. He looked at John and said, hey, will you take care of my mother? Dying on the cross, he was thinking of other people. That's what it means to be humble. We live in a society that says, no, I must do something so people will notice me. So I will be interesting. When the call is to be interested in others. Be humble, be patient. That specifically calls on the readers, those who are following Jesus, to endure wrongs. So hard to do especially in America where we feel we have the right to have no wrong done against us. And the slightest little thing sets us off. I'm telling you, God's people should be different. We should be patient in enduring the wrongs. And I know that's hard. I know that's hard. He says that we need to make allowance for each other's faults. That means leaving margin in our lives for the fact that somebody's going to mess up and we shouldn't demand a pound of flesh from them when it happens. Listen to me carefully. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not held to this standard. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, He expects you and I to live differently than the world lives. So really, what's our attitude towards one another? That's what Paul is talking about. He talks about what is your attitude towards unity. Towards unity. Most people are for unity as long as everyone is willing to do what they want. Right? I mean, I, I, my, my favorite illustration for unity is what happens in my family sometimes. I can, we can be sitting in the living room together. It's dinner time. Cherry doesn't want to cook. And we look at each other and say, hey, let's go out to eat. 
Everybody wants to go out to eat. Unity. Everybody jumps up. They start putting on their shoes. They get on their jacket. Unity in the room. Unity in the household. Until someone says, where do you want to eat? <laughs> Unity is lost immediately. Oh, we chuckle at that, but that's how we live our lives. We live our lives the exact same way. Unity is fine and dandy until someone doesn't see it like I see it. And in today's world, now we got to hate them. It's not enough just to disagree. To disagree means I must hate you. I must annihilate you because you don't see it like I see it. God's people should be different. What's our attitude really towards unity? It's an urgent matter, unity. I would dare say the greatest problem facing the church is a lack of unity. I would say the greatest problem facing our nation is a lack of unity. It's an urgent matter. And here's what's, here's what's unbelievable. We can't create unity. Humans do not have the skill to create unity. We do have the power to create uniformity. Make people fall in line. Make people act a certain way. Make it by force. That's uniformity. We do not have the skill set to make unity. God gives unity. We just have to protect it. We just have to live within the boundaries of it. And it's an urgent matter. And let me tell you something. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you already have unity. God's already given it to you. You say, well, if I already have it, why aren't I experiencing it? Because you're not living within the boundaries of it. And that's true for all of us. Again, go, think of the orchestra as they're tuning up. Everyone sitting there is a skilled musician. They have skills. They have intelligence. They have things to offer. But some of them just don't like playing the trumpet. They'd rather play the violin. Because the violin's more important than the trumpet, isn't it? Violin, I mean, that's way prettier than that, that thing they press and spit through. Who wants to spit to play music? What's wrong with those trumpeteers? What's wrong? Why can't they see it like I see it? Oh, we chuckle, but that's exactly how we live our lives. That's exactly how we treat one another. What is our attitude towards unity? This is what Paul is talking about, and it should be different for God's people. It should be different. For you and I to walk together in the Lord, it requires us to see God through Christ alone. This is a tough one in today's world. This is hard for people sitting right here in the room. For some of the people sitting right here in the room, it's hard for some of the people watching online. See, we love the, the, the benefits of following Christ. The problem is, is oh, you mean i got to follow Him alone? That it's through Christ alone these things come? Look at what Paul 
says as he continues to unpack this in Ephesians 4, he says, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Do you see how many times he said one? There's one. There's a problem with this in the world today because we have a hard time as a society accepting that there's one way to God, and that's through Christ. There's a popular sticker out right now. I want to show you this image. You see this image a lot on bumper stickers, T-shirts, ball caps. A lot of people don't know what it means. They, they know what the word is. The word is coexist. The idea is, is why can't all these different religions just coexist? Why can't they just all get along with each other? Why can't, why can't we, under the umbrella of all the good that the religions of the world promote, why can't we just all embrace the good that we bring to the table? The problem is, is that there's only one way to God, and that's through Christ. And when we look at this image, let me tell you what each one of these things mean. The C is the crescent for the star of Islam. The O is the peace symbol for nuclear disarmament. The E is the relativity formula for science and sexuality. The X is the star of David, which stands for Judaism. The I the pinnacle of the eye is with the, uh, the dot is the international symbol of Wicca. That's what that little star is. The S is the symbol for, uh, for Toism, which is an Eastern um, religion that promotes peace and unity. And then the T uh, is the one that we should recognize is the cross of Christianity. Go back to the orchestra. The only way that people who come from all these different backgrounds could ever have unity together is through one conductor. We can't each play our own instruments and say, this is what I believe, therefore it's right. Now, I'm talking about the, worlds of, uh, the religions of the world right here using this illustration, but you know what? The same holds true within the body of Christ. Within the walls of a local church or the local church, we can't all follow our own conductor. We say amen to that but we are horrible at fleshing it out. Because we think, well, I disagree. And because I disagree, I can't learn to cooperate with them. I can't learn to find a banner larger than what I think is right. And unity is lost. 
The third thing that is required for you and I to be able to walk together in Christ is that it requires us to honor spiritual leaders. I'm going to be honest with you. This is awkward for me to talk about. You want to know why? Because I'm a spiritual leader. Even though I don't feel like one, I guarantee you, there's not any day I wake up, look in the mirror and say, wow, look at that wonderful spiritual leader. (laughs) I don't ever feel like a spiritual leader. Being a spiritual leader is not something I ever dreamed about doing. It's something that God has done in me and through me. And I do it making mistakes all the time, every day. But if we're going to walk in unity with each other, we have to be willing to honor our spiritual leaders. And let me say up front, you guys are good at it. I don't ever dread coming to Grace Bible Church. And I haven't been able to say that everywhere. But I don't ever dread coming. But look at what God's Word says. He says, however, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the Scriptures say, when He ascended to the heights... He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, I need us to switch imagery here for just a moment. I've been using an orchestra as an imagery, I, I, as an illustration. I, I want you to, Paul pulls out the image of a conqueror. He's talking about what happens when someone conquers another nation. He talks about Christ, and when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. So Paul is using the image of a conqueror to describe how Christ set up the church, his people group, his ethnic group. The followers of Jesus are their own unique nationality. I know that's kind of hard to think about. We think of ourselves as Americans. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, your loyalty is to Christ first, or it should be. And so he's talking about that group of people, that group of people that are committed to following Jesus Christ. And he uses this imagery of a conqueror. So at the cross, Christ freed people from sin and took them captive. If you can imagine that in in your mind for a moment, at the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, he arose from the grave. Everyone who places their faith in him after that, they, they are held captive by Jesus. He set them free from their sins, and now they're held captive by him. And when a conqueror wins, he takes captives to use at his disposal. That's a different kind of imagery for you and I, but Christ conquered sin and therefore he captured the people that make up his kingdom. Okay? That's what happened on the cross, but notice what Paul goes on to say. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. So Christ created the church 
and then he filled it with his captives. The followers of Jesus, people who have committed themselves to living for Christ. So a conqueror establishes his own way of governing his captives. Does that make sense? When, 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 a, when, when a conqueror conquers another nation, the people that he's held captive, he goes over to them and he says, all right, now, now you are a part of my realm. You're a part of my kingdom, and I now determine, I now will govern how you're going to live your lives. Jesus did that with you and I. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he should be governing how you live your life. You are a part of his kingdom. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't apply to you. You're your own God. But if you're following Jesus, he is your conqueror. He set you free from your sins. And he should be the one who's governing your life. And people who are following him, all under his leadership, again, they're like following the conductor. And there's harmony and unity between them. In Christ, how does he govern his people? Well, the United States, how does the United States govern its people? Some would argue that it doesn't. But how does the United States govern its people? From the White House, right? From the White House down, the United States is governed. Well, how does God govern his people? The church. That is his governmental structure to govern his people. I'm not talking about Grace Bible Church. I'm talking about the church, capital C, the church of the world is under the leadership of Christ and he governs his people through the church. That's what Paul is painting an image of. Notice what he says next. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. We, we immediately begin to think, well, how does this work out? How does this happen that Christ governs his people through the church? Well, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. All right, so some of the captives are gifted with the ability of, leader, of leadership within the church. That's what Paul is describing right here. And so that's, that's where the leadership of the church comes from, that is, is, is that you have these different gifts that are distributed to some of the captives, and those captives become leaders within the church. And look at what, what are those leaders supposed to do? Are we supposed to, are, are what, we pound people into submission? What do we do? What, what, what exactly are the leadership of the church? What, what is it that they're supposed to be doing to lead people? It's very interesting. It's very different from any other system that's set up. Look at what he says. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So the captive leaders are then told to equip the captives 
to build the church. That word equip, it means to prepare or to mend or to restore. It's to help people get back to their created purpose. So the role of the leader is to minister the word to the people so that the people can then go out and share with the world how to be a part of God's church through Christ. The building up of the church. When we do this, and when we do it well, the church remains two things. Reverent and relevant. At the same time. And this is how we know when we're not doing it well. Because people will not have reverence for the church. Or they will look at the church and say it's not relevant. I'll be honest with you, I'd have a hard time following me too. Because I don't like myself a lot. And I don't know why God did what He did. Maybe He'll explain it one day to me. But here's the good news, I'm not the only leader. Not at Grace Bible Church, and not in the church. But here's what I see happening in America. What I see going on specifically in our culture is that people can't seem to be satisfied in any setting of any local church. And folks, all the leaders can't be bad. If you're finding yourself in the situation of, I can't find a church where I fit in. I can't find a church where, where I can't get fed. I can't find a church that sees the world the way I think it should be seen. I can't find, can I tell you something? After you've run through a dozen churches, you're the only common denominator. I get there's bad apples in the cart, but not every apple is bad. Sometimes, it's our attitude towards leadership. And Paul makes it clear that if you and I, if we're going to experience harmony in this world together within his church, at some point, at some time, somewhere, you and I must find the place where we can honor the leaders God has put above us. And that doesn't mean you're always going to agree with them. That doesn't mean that they're, that they're always right and that they should never be asked about what they're doing. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't be held accountable. It doesn't mean that at all. I didn't see dictator as one of the gifts. Did you? So I'm not talking about that at all. But if you find yourself, I just, can't, I just can't find a church. Can we tell you something? After a while, you're the problem. 
It's not the church. It's not the pastors. It's not, after a while, you just got to own up and say, you know what, I'm the problem. I have a hard time submitting to leadership. Aren't you glad you came to church today so I could hit you with a two-by-four? I know you're glad you're here. Here's the fourth thing Paul talks about. If you and I are going to walk together, when we do it, it will take us where we always wanted to be. Look, if we'll do this, if, if we'll learn to walk in unity... If, if, we, if you and I, if, if we will have the right attitude, if we'll, if we'll do it through, through Christ alone, and if we'll follow the spiritual leaders that God gives us, then we will go together where we always wanted to be. Look at what Paul says. This will, con- this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Walking together in unity empowers individuals to follow Christ. What am I saying? I'm saying it is very difficult to follow Christ alone. But if we will enter in this process and walk together, then we will find, even though we may all be playing our own instrument, but because we're walking together, it sounds harmonious. It's beautiful. But if we pull out and play our own instrument to our own beat, to our own conductor off to the side, not only is it ugly, it's distracting to everyone else. Paul says, if we'll do this, we will come to such unity that our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature together in the Lord. Together. He goes on to say, then we will no longer be immature like children. I didn't call you a child. Paul did. Okay? He says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Folks, do you realize what world we're living in? Yeah, everybody says, I want to know the truth. Can I tell you, Paul is saying right here, it can't be found alone. It comes within the unity of the church. Now listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, more power to you out there. Try to figure it out. But for God's people, if we stick together, we know the truth together. Oh, I know our hearts agree with this. I hear your amens. But folks, we are terrible at this. It may be what we desire. It is not what we do. See, walking together provides stability in unstable times. 
And I can't think of a more unstable time than right now. Look at what he says. He goes on to say, instead we will speak the truth in love. There's a lot of truth speaking. There's just not a lot of love. But when we stick together and we walk together, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. There it is. Folks, you and I can't be like Jesus alone. It happens when we walk together in unity. Look at what he says. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Is that not where we want to be? And it happens when we walk together. You see, walking together allows our differences to become strengths. God has not called us to be uniform, to be exactly the same. He has called us to walk together in unity with our differences. Just like a violin sounds different than a trumpet, and an oboe sounds different than a bass drum. And I don't know enough instruments to carry on that illustration. But do you see what I'm saying? They are all different, but when they work together, they create something beautiful. And that's what you and I are supposed to be in the church. But it comes by having a right attitude. we got to believe that we're more together than we are apart. And we got to believe that, we gotta, that we're all following the same conductor. That that's the only way that it can happen. This is what Paul is talking about. I want to close out with a thought. What is keeping you from walking together with God's people? And I want you to circle one. I want you to do it right now. I want you to circle. What is it that keeps you from walking together with God's people? Is it your attitude is that it? You just got a bad attitude about obedience. You got a bad attitude about one another. You got a bad attitude about unity. Is that it? Is it just a bad attitude? Maybe it's beliefs. Maybe, maybe that the issue is I, I really like what the Bible teaches, but I have a real struggle with accepting that Jesus is the only way to know God. Is that the problem? Or is it following godly leaders? Always finding fault with someone inside the church because you know what? They're not perfect. And you know what? If you walk in looking for imperfection, you will find it. So because they're not perfect, I just got a problem with every church I walk into. I got a problem. Is that, is that the issue? What is it that keeps you from walking in unity with God's people. Nail it down. Because you and I will never get where we want to be without knowing what it is. And once you nail it down, here's a prayer I'd like for you to use. 
simply says, Lord Jesus, I confess that my, and whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is that you circle, I confess that my blank keeps me from walking together with your people in this place. Forgive me for treating the sacrifice you made on the cross so cheaply. Your death and resurrection have paved the way for me to experience unity with your people. And it allows me to contribute towards building unity in your church. This week, I want to do something that will display my unity with your people. Show me what I can do. I am listening. I will obey. I pray it in Jesus' name. I hope that can be your prayer this week. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. I'm glad you joined us online. If you're here in the room as you depart today, please go by our welcome desk. Uh, Tony and Beth would greet you there. I'd love to speak with you. If you'd like to know more about unity and what it means to follow Jesus Christ, then I encourage you to text the word CONNECT to 330-400-2869. And that opens up a line of communication for talk, to talk about those things. God bless you. Thank you for being at Grace. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.